The UCAP gang are right out on the bleeding edge of internet telephone technology this week as they check in from exotic locations all across America. The Sport Aviation Expo, an LSA primer, some news of the week, and more on episode number 12 of Uncontrolled Airspace. Listen for the race cars. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Good morning, everyone. Here we are back again with the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace General Aviation Podcast, episode number 12. Uh, we're recording this on uh, w- on Wednesday morning, January 10th, uh, 2007, our first podcast of 2007. And uh, we are truly a national podcast this morning because there are four of us online and we're spread out all over America. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, with us this morning, uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb uh, is uh, Jeb. So you're at home, though. See, you're kind of boring this morning you're at home i'm at home i'm boring Uh, nothing really much to say uh good morning everybody good day everybody happy new year um welcome to uh ucap jeb is of course a a freelance aviation journalist he's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine and also as a contributing editor to avweb biz also with us this morning dave higdon Uh, dave is uh, i guess is actually two of us are boring and two of us i think are pretty cool dave is also boring. Dave is a ho- at home. Oh, I wanted to be pretty cool too. <laughs> Dave is uh, is home in uh, in. Or actually, maybe at your studio, but you're in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Dave, how you doing? Good morning. Oh well, happy 2007, everybody. Uh, yeah, we've got a bright blue sunny day here in uh, in South Central Kansas. Uh, great day to go out and, and, and exercise your private pilot privileges and get a little airtime. Uh, doesn't get much prettier than this in mm-hmm. January. And Dave, of course, is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, uh, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And also with us this morning, a first-timer to Uncontrolled Airspace, uh, Dan Johnson is with us. Dan is an aviation writer who focuses on the light sport aircraft field, and he is also, oh, by the way, the chairman of the board of LAMA, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing? Good morning, all. It's a pleasure for me to join your broadcast this morning on the uh, first one of 2007. Yeah. Dan is talking to us this morning uh, by cell phone from his RV in uh, where, where you're in Se- is it Sebring, Florida? Is that the name of the town? Or yes, it's uh, Sebring, Florida, and there's a little local ambiance going on here because this town in Florida is uh, probably best known for its racetrack, which uh, at which racetrack they are currently running some trials in preparation for the 24-hour race at Daytona. Now, a bunch of aviation guys may not know anything about car racing, but. My guess is you've all heard of those guys that go around and around in circles for 24 hours straight. So anyway, they're trying to wear out their cars, and you'll hear a little bit of that noise in the background. We probably won't hear too much airplane noise because our little LSAs are so quiet, you, couldn't, you can't hear them. <laughs> now, but you're actually down there not for the car races. You're there for the uh, the, the Sport Aviation Expo, right? That's correct. The yeah. US Sport Aviation Expo, sometimes known as or more colloquially alone. <laughs> as the uh, Sebring LSA Expo, because that's what it is. It's all LSA for four days, 
lots of demo flying, lots of airplanes, the largest collection of light sport aircraft in the country, and it also happens to kick off the new year. Uh, and it's become, this is only its third year, but this has become a destination for almost anyone interested in light sport aircraft. Of course, it's not a bad place to go in the dead of winter. I'm from Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, it's probably not so nice up there right now, but I'm down here in my short sleeves, and it's a beautiful day, a little on the cool side, but that's very pleasant as the show sets up for its grand opening tomorrow. That's great. I heard the... Sound, heard, sounds like tough duty, Deej. Yeah, and we did hear the race cars there just a second ago. At least I think it was a race car. Um, yeah, what you're hearing is race cars, not yeah. airplanes. And, uh, now the only other thing worth noting on the racetrack is that uh, the racetrack here actually owns this airport. Oh, really? Uh, hmm. Probably doesn't exist anyplace else in the world. Uh-huh. Well, anyway. That's yeah, interesting. Sleepy little airport that was uh, the only time it had anything going on is when the race happened, and then there was a bazillion jets out here because uh, racing is a high-dollar activity. Uh, these, uh, one team will have a budget of $300 million a year. That's one team, one year. So there's big dough in this, and they have their jets, and they could fly in here, but otherwise this airport was a dusty little... Uh, no destination place until Phil Lockwood and his business arrived here and then a very uh, uh, charismatic and good leader in the form of Mike Wellingham took over this airport as its manager and my goodness this place has really come to town and now the Sport Aviation Expo is one of their uh, reasons to draw attention to the airport but also now forming uh, the season opener for us light sport guys. That's great. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit more about this Aviation Expo, but let me just uh, quickly jump in here and say that, uh, uh, and my name, of course, is Jack Hodgson. Uh, I am a freelance writer and new media producer. Uh, normally, I'm located in Boston, Massachusetts, but today I'm out here in California. Uh, I am there this morning uh, sitting in the Moscone Convention Center in San Francisco uh, attending the Macworld Expo, the big Apple c- uh, trade show and convention out here. And uh, I, I've actually, I'm actually in the convention center it's uh, it's quite early well relatively early in the morning it's about 8:30 here i've commandeered a meeting room that uh, that n- nobody really knows i'm using and uh, i'm using the shared public wi-fi out here and so uh, from a podcasting uh, uh, standpoint we're right out there on the bleeding edge this morning anything's possible seems like we've got a pretty good connection so far but i apologize in advance this could be a little bit of an adventure so uh, dan tell us a little bit more about pardon me go ahead this is Dan speaking. I have to admit, uh, just a little bit of envy, even though I'm at an air show. I'm a longtime Mac user, and I've never been to one of their events. So. Well, see, I wow. just I just knew you were the kind of guy we needed to get onto this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Another time. one of those types, huh? Yeah. Oh, no. I, I, I should have warned you guys about that. Fun guys or Apple guys, as far as I can tell. Yeah. What, uh, I'm sorry, what kind of guys are Apple guys? All the creative fun guys, as far as I can tell. See, now that's what Ooh. I try and tell everybody, huh? Anyway, what, uh, what about creative fun girls? Are they uh, uh, Mac types also? Or all right, I tell you what. Tell you what, Jeb. Next year, I'll bring you along to MacWorld Expo, and we'll answer that question for you. But uh, I, I think I think I'm getting a clue on this question. A lot of graf- just have to be able to define what the chooser button is. A lot of graphic artists. People think about that for a minute. Okay. Um, all right. What? Um, all right. I'm on the next flight. Okay. This is an av- this is an aviation podcast though. So, uh, move- <laughs> moving back, moving back. Dan, tell us a little bit about the expo. What what do you, what do you expect? What's is going to be any big news there? 
Well, uh, there will be some new aircraft debuts here, uh, at least uh, two or three that I am familiar with, and I am sure that I am not familiar with some others that will be announced here. But um, as you may know, in the light sport aircraft field, we now have 44 aircraft that have been certified. That's in the space of only a shade over 18 months, which has got to be a record in FAA Amazing. history, I think. Uh, so 44 new airplane models. I think every single one of them will be here with perhaps one or two exceptions. And then there's more to come. By another year, I don't know, that number could be 60 or, or greater. But uh, this year we will have, uh, uh, out of those 44, I should say, a great many of them are from uh, Europe. Especially Eastern Europe has become just the uh, sort of the beginning point for an awful lot of new LSAs that are coming into the world, and most of those are currently headed to the U.S. Uh, there's a lot of things about that rule that are interesting. Number one, that the certification system is one that can be used anywhere in the world, so we are already seeing other countries pick up on this, and this has really become a global activity almost before it's uh, even known to people, so that's an interesting segment of it. But some of those airplanes that are coming here are foreign. Many of them are. One of them is the Evector Sports Star that is one of our success stories in uh, finding its way into F uh, FBO flight school operations, where at least 15 different operations are now using these things. And at the last report, they were all delighted and, and trying to get another one so they could add to their fleet of these things. The beauty of it is they do not seem to be stealing um, time from Cessnas and Pipers that are also in the flight school fleet. They are bringing in what several FBOs have told me, they said it's new money, and that's got to be magic words in the aviation uh, arena where we have too many of us that have been around too long and not enough of us that have just gotten started. Uh, so here's a way that's getting to happen, and we're very delighted about that. So the Sports Star will be showing up here with its Sports Star Plus model. Uh, they've uh, managed to squeeze another 55 pounds of useful load, and by the way, these are machines that already have about 50% of their gross weight or close to it is useful load. It's a lot different than anywhere else in aviation that I'm familiar with. Uh, so they'll have their Sports Star Plus here. We'll also see the uh, first public debut of a lovely little amphibian. These are mostly all two-place airplanes. Uh, this one's called the C-Max. It'll be making its first public debut here. Um, and uh, we'll also be seeing the first uh, component parts and so forth for the Indus Aviation Torpedo LP and the LP. Uh, all the rest of that may be words that uh, a lot of GA pilots don't know, but the LP part you'll know because it stands for low prestige. Uh, almost everybody in aviation knows low prestige and their speed merchant operation. And the Indus folks who were based in Dallas, Texas, have hired low prestige to do their speed mod magic on their uh, torpedo model. This was designed by John Thorpe, so they called it the Torpedo, and it was already a pretty decent performer. Now they expect to get 20 more knots out of it. That's close to 20%. So wow. a very significant change. And to me, the interesting part about it, really, the technical part is all fine and good, uh, certainly of interest to a buyer. But what's interesting to me is that we've got a GA, major GA company uh, partnering up with a significant leader in our LSA field. And that's what I see as the future is these two activities, light sport, which sort of grew out of ultralights, GA, which has been around since the Wright brothers, melding together and working with one another to advance aviation's growth a bit. 
Well, Dan, let, for our listeners who may not be you, you know, well-versed in the light sport aircraft uh, uh, type and uh, pilot privileges, can you give us a, a quick and dirty rundown of what constitutes a light sport aircraft and the uh, differences in privileges between a light sport pilot's license and a private pilot's license? Sure. Let's uh, let's do the airplane side of it first. Uh, first of all, uh, there's some basic numbers that surround a light sport aircraft and, and kind of define it, and also limit it. The idea behind the philosophy behind this new rule, uh, which was by the way released on June uh, July 20th, uh, 2004. Uh, that's a date that you may recall. It was exactly 35 years to the day after Neil Armstrong first set foot on the moon. So FAA picked a nice day to release that rule. So we've only had it a couple of years, but already a lot of things are happening. The basic airplane is a maximum of two occupants, a maximum takeoff weight of 1,320 pounds, although seaplanes can be 1,430 pounds. And by the way, those two numbers work out very well for the European metric community at about 600 kilos and 650 kilos. Uh, the aircraft also have a maximum clean 45-knot stall speed, and a maximum continuous power operating speed of 129. Single engine, non-turbine, fixed gear, fixed prop, no pressurized cabin. That basically describes the airplane and, like I said, limits it. The idea, the philosophy behind this new segment is that these are simple airplanes being operated in simple airspace, and therefore the pilot license side of it now uh, for the fixed-wing aircraft, which is what most people think of as an aircraft, but in LSA we've got a wide variety of variations. So the fixed-wing guys, you can get your sport pilot certificate. They don't call it a license. The number of wording changes that came along with this new rule in just 20 hours. Uh, that's 20 hours total. That's 15 hours of dual, 5 hours of solo, and, of course, you've got to pass a written test, an oral test, and a uh, flight check, just like you do in every other license in FAA. But if you can do so, you can be licensed and carrying a passenger in 20 hours. Now, there are people that say, oh, wait a minute, that, that, that can't be enough. We have 40 hours for a private ticket, and the national average is whatever it is, 60 or 80 hours or some number well beyond 40. And, you know, how, you know, you guys are, this is insane to have people out there flying around with passengers in 20 hours. And I say, wait a minute, back up. Uh, you're not trying to learn night. You're not trying to learn IFR. Those two things you cannot do with a sport yeah. Again, and there's a number of other things you don't have to learn how to do. So, yes, on a nice day at a wide-open airport in a good little airplane with adequate training that led you to get a license from an FAA examiner uh, or a designated pilot examiner, uh, yes, you can, you can get the basic airmanship learned in 20 hours, and then you can go on from there. Matter of fact, one of our segments is powered parachutes, which many people have seen. Not too many know all that much about them but they only have to have 12 hours of instruction, and even that number is likely to come down because the power parachute instructors say, hey, after about eight or nine hours, there isn't anything left to teach the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's also a difference. You can't go flying around in the airspace, for example, on only 20 hours of training. There are some limits to this thing at various levels, but... Once you've got the sport pilot certificate, you've done some flying, now maybe you've got 30 or 40 hours, and you go, hey, you know, I really want to get into B, C, and D airspace. Uh, can I do that? Well, yes, you can, uh, Mr. Sport Pilot Certificate Holder. You just need a little extra, a little extra training so that you know how to behave in that environment. And, and you go take some extra instruction, and you learn how to fly in that kind of situation, and you're, you're ready to go. Now, you can fly that. Do you have did to you... another flight test? The answer is no. 
All you do is get a logbook endorsement from your instructor. Now you're good to go in DCD airspace. How many sport pilots are certificated at this time, DJ? Well, these numbers, uh, of course, we get them from the FAA and FAA's numbers. I don't know why, but they have a rather significant lag in them. But we, uh -huh. we believe we are somewhere beyond uh, a thousand sport pilots uh, already in, which makes it a whole lot more successful than rec pilots, recreational pilot ever was. Uh, and oh, they are yeah. coming online faster, but some of the delays are there's two major things that are keeping more people from getting that certificate. One is the supply of airplanes has just been outstripped by demand for those airplanes such that flight schools can't get them until huh. more recently. starting to become more available now. But at first, everybody who wanted one of these things was snapping them up so fast they couldn't get into a flight school. The second part was there just weren't enough designated pilot examiners at first to actually give you a, a, the flight check already. Uh -huh. That's now, all of that's changing. This thing is in such flux that it's hard to keep up with what's going on in this field because it's changing on every front very fast. But uh, we're beginning to see a lot more of that. We're beginning to see a lot more airplanes in the registry now, too. We're somewhere around 500 special light sport aircraft, and a special light sport aircraft, or SLSA, is one that can be used commercially for instruction, for uh, rental, or for leaseback. Uh, and those aircraft are the ones that are going into flight schools and being used by people across the country, and they're now starting to come in faster. And so we're going to see all these numbers. Pilot, New pilot starts with sport pilot certificate, uh, more airplanes uh, out in the market and, and on your local airport. That's, that's all. 2007 is going to be a very exciting year. Dan, uh, is there a... Uh... Go go ahead, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to uh, ask Dan. There's, there's a there's a difference in uh, the uh, medical qualification required between a private and a sport pilot certificate as well, isn't there? Yeah, thanks for asking that, Dave. That's one of the leading things that uh, happened with the sport pilot certificate. All the other stuff like that, of course, is there too about lesser number of hours. But one of the big ones is, and why there's been such a surge of demand right away, is that you do not require an aviation medical exam. Uh, you are only required to have a valid state driver's license. Now, if you've had a seizure or something like that, your state is going to take away your driver's license. So there is a medical side to it. Uh, but, of course, it's uh, easier to obtain a uh, driver's license than it is to obtain uh, to get your second or third class medical if you've had certain conditions uh, that FAA just don't like, which have been demonstrated not to be a big problem. The number of medically related incidents in aviation is less than 1% of fatalities, uh, well under 1%, I understand. And so there just wasn't an argument that said that in these simple airplanes, in simple airspace, remember the mantra here, uh, that a uh, driver's license could serve as evidence of your medical fitness. And that's been a deal. AOPA and EAA have each independently estimated somewhere between 100 to 130,000 pilots that are, we'll call them medically challenged. Perhaps they have a medical now, but they're concerned about it in the future. Perhaps they already have decided not to go get it again. The only people that get left out of this equation are anybody who has been denied. If you received an actual printed letter from FAA saying your medical is denied, now you got a tough situation. You can't even get a sport pilot certificate at present. They are working on that, but at present, that's still a stick. So those pilots out there who have, are, you know, got their last medical, but maybe they had to get special issuance, or maybe they really struggled with it or something, they need to consider whether or not they want to go take that next exam. 
Because if you go fill out the paperwork and sign your name, now you're in the works before your exam. And if your AME, your aviation medical examiner, uh, says, uh, you're not going to pass, he can't say, I'll just tear this form up. Uh, and you walk out of here and we didn't know you came in. He's not allowed to do that by law or by the rules. And uh, so you don't want to get denied. And if, as long as you have not been denied, then even without an aviation medical, you can fly a number of really neat little airplanes. Deej, is there a, uh, a certain area of the country that is uh, uh, maybe a hotbed of LSA activity? Or is there uh, any data that you might have relative to the geographic distribution of, of LSA aircraft? Well, uh, there's not not some real hard data yet. Like I said, the numbers are just flowing in too slowly to really make that really uh, hard-nosed uh, uh, statements about this. But we see that it follows the basic patterns that is true in aviation anyway. Uh, California is uh, the biggest destination for the biggest location, home to both pilots and airplanes. Texas is also very big, and Florida is huge. I mean, all your sunbelt states that enjoy nice weather, these are... But they're quite capable airplanes, and by a pilot who does have a medical and does have an instrument rating, these airplanes can be flown IFR if suitably equipped and all the rest of that. So they have some real capability to them, and they'll fly 138 miles an hour at max speed. So we're talking a 172 here. Uh, they are not just little toy airplanes, but the reality of them is the name is light sport, and most of them are used recreationally. So, therefore, the climates where they have nice weather year-round tend to be the places where more of the pilots and airplanes are. Um, the uh, the Sport Aviation Expo starts uh, tomorrow, as I understand. What kind of events uh, will be going on down there during between now and the weekend, and and what would be an attraction for someone uh, uh, able to get down there? Well, I would say there's. Uh, uh, two primary reasons why you want to come to this particular event. Three of them. One of them is that there are just more of these airplanes here than any place else. And if this is what you're looking for, uh, then you don't have to wade through uh, legions of people and fleets of airplanes of kinds that you're not looking for. Uh, you know, wonderful shows like Sun and Fun and Air Venture have something for everybody. They're Disneyland for aviation. The trouble with that is finding the one airplane that you want <laughs> uh, can be challenging. So here you'll see them all. That's that's probably one of the main reasons. Everybody who's in LSA who's got anything going on is pretty much here as an expert. The second reason is that those airplanes can fly demo flights here all day long. All the major air shows have tightly choreographed airspace during the open times. And you just can't, you know, if you're going to go fly a... An airplane at Air Venture. I've done it. Uh, you're you're going to be two hours getting a half hour flight with the taxi time and push out time and all the rest of that. At least that much time allocated. Um, and then the main air show starts and everything's on the ground for four hours, so nothing's fun. Here there is no air show, uh, and the uh, there there is of course an air boss that keeps things safe, and they had a perfect record last year, and we hope for another one this year. Uh, but you can be demo flying in these airplanes all day long, all daylight hours. You, if you want to fly six different airplanes, you could come here and get it done. Very likely. Uh, that's very cool. 
Sebring also offers uh, the participant uh, a wide variety of uh, seminars and forums uh, about light sport and flying and, and licensing and uh, self-maintenance and, and, and stuff along those lines, doesn't it? Exactly right, Dave. Uh, those are sponsored, uh, again, for the third year in a row now by EAA, and they uh, are the primary organizers of the forums. There are some actually some brand-new tea hangers here, which is proving to be a nice place to have uh, the forums this year. And uh, we just were down there and had a look at them. They're going to work fine for that. So they've got four forum hangers uh, that will be in use all day long, all four days of the event. It starts tomorrow on Thursday the 11th and runs through Sunday the 14th. And uh, I don't know what the total number is, but there's got to be uh, probably 100 forums. And you can find out anything you want to find out about sport pilot and light sport aircraft. If a lot of people have questions, that makes it another great destination. <laughs> yeah, it's a really it's a really exciting time in general aviation these days, and LSA is definitely one of the hotbeds of excitement. Um, we've been talking about it a lot in the past on this podcast, and I know we're going to talk about it more in the future. Um, any last thoughts on 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 the expo before we move on? Well, one question, uh, Dan, about how many people, how many attendees do you expect down there for the weekend? Well, uh, it's interesting. The organizers of this event have chosen not to release that information, and they say they're taking a cue from the racetrack folks. The racetrack here, uh, when the Sebring race goes on, it's, it's huge. I don't know how many people are here, but they don't say either. So huh. Sebring Expo said, we're, we're not, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality, and indeed there's a lot of truth to that. And I know that from working the EAA Sport Pilot Tour Series, which just concluded 13 events scattered all around the country. They typically attracted, oh, five to 800 people, uh, which compared to the giant air shows doesn't sound like very many people. But when they're all the ones you want to talk to, you're busy all day long. You can really give them the time and attention that you want to give to a potential customer. That's true here, too. All that said, my guess, and some others have agreed with this, is there's uh, somewhere between three and 5,000 people that will attend this event in uh, four days. And uh, every one of them is pretty interested or very interested. So the people that come here, well, their vendors are up 20% this year over last year. Wow. They added more space. They sold all that out. They added some more, and apparently they still got some people to kind of squeeze in. So the vendors have said, we love it. It may not be 250,000 people on the ground at one time like your venture offers, but it's all the ones we want to talk to, and, and that makes it money well spent. Hey, that's great. Good stuff. That's Good great. stuff. Yeah. That's the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, for the 2007 edition, and uh, it starts tomorrow, January 11, and runs through Sunday the 14th. Before we move on, I want to uh, remind everyone that in addition to listening to this podcast, we hope that you will also visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. There's all sorts of good stuff to be found there. You can see the show notes for all of our shows with links to web pages that we talk about and other background information. You can listen to previous episodes. You can check out the Uncontrolled Airspace blog where we post GA-related items that we're following. You can get the phone number for our listener line where you can leave us a message that we might even use on 
the podcast. You can sign up for our reminder email list. You can get instructions on how to get a free subscription that will automatically download this podcast through one of the podcatcher programs like iTunes or iPodder or Juice or others. And also we want you to remember and also tell all your friends that you do not need an iPod to listen to podcasts like this one. You can download the cast to any portable audio device or just... My screensaver just went on. Don't you love computers? I'm just barreling on through my little thing and the screensaver went on. Uh, let's... <laughs> you can... technology Isn't it great? You can download the podcast to any portable audio device or just listen on your laptop or desktop computer. And finally, check back to the website often to, for all sorts of coming soon features like a discussion forum and one of these days maybe even selling some uncontrolled airspace merchandise. So visit the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. One visit a week, that's all we ask. What else is there to talk about? Uh, Eclipse delivered their... Yes! Quote-unquote delivered, right? Did they really deliver it, or or what'd they do? Well, a few hours after uh, we were talking about them on New Year's Eve, uh, having you know reached the end of the year without a delivery, uh, lo and behold, Vern Rayburn pulled another rabbit out his hat, as he's done a couple of times before, and uh, had a delivery ceremony in Albuquerque and handed off the first customer airplane, uh, coming in under the wire and fulfilling yet another promise to have made their first delivery by the end of 2006. Uh, They did another delivery, uh, actually a ceremonial event for the employees uh, a few days into the new year. Uh, but uh, Eclipse is now on the map, on the books. It is a functioning company, as Rayburn put it. Uh, we have a sale. We have a check. Uh, we handed off the keys, and uh, they're, uh, they're off and running. Uh, so the, uh, the first customer was uh, David Crow, who's an owner-pilot who purchased a, sh- a share of the Eclipse 500 from the other customer, Jet Alliance, which is kind of a, a fractional ownership operation, uh, geared to people who are going to be the owner flyers of the aircraft, as opposed to uh, a NetJets type of operation where you uh, you buy a share and they supply the flight crew. Uh, and they have another uh, half a dozen or so uh, airplanes in various stages of uh, uh, completion and waiting for FAA approval so they can start delivery. Uh, the last thing Eclipse really needs to be rolling on an ongoing basis is its production certificate so that they can self-certify these airplanes in-house and not wait for the FAA inspectors to come around and do the job for them. So congratulations again to Eclipse, and uh, that kind of unleashes the gates in 2007 to see how this race plays out between Eclipse, Cessna, and Adam. Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, see- just as we were talking about them on New Year's Eve, uh, they were uh, gearing up to make this delivery and made it later in the day. So uh, hats off to Eclipse, and uh, uh, the race is on between Cessna, Eclipse, and Adam. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of people thought that 2006 would be the the year of the VLJ, but it's shaping up that 2007 uh, will be that year. So uh, uh, we will uh, not, not having the the, the the jack to stroke a check here for one of those uh, we will be content to sit back and watch um, uh, it'll, it will be interesting yeah what else is in the news well, well we also talked about uh, uh, I think we talked about this uh, uh, plane crash in Indonesia an Adam Air 737 um, 
went missing, and uh, uh, there were initial news reports that uh, the wreckage had been found. There were 12 survivors, et cetera, et cetera. This was uh, around the first of the year also. Here we are on, on January 10, and they, um, first of all, had to backtrack from their initial reports that the wreckage had been found. Uh, a huge embarrassment for, for aviation authorities out there. Um, and, of course, uh, a lot of uh, uh, angst for uh, families of the passengers on board that, that aircraft. Um, today comes news that, no, they still have not found this missing 737. Uh, but uh, uh, authorities are looking at... Um, uh, with presumably sonar and other devices, looking at the seabed um, um, north of uh, um, a couple of Indonesian islands um, at a large metallic object uh, on the f ocean floor. Oh. So uh, what that will bring uh, uh, is anyone's guess. Uh, there's 102 people aboard that aircraft. They've been missing for eight days. I have to say, when 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 we first heard those what turned out to be wrong reports of survivors found on the ground, I, I was really dubious to begin with. I'm curious, have has can anyone remember an example of a commercial airliner that went down off field where anybody survived? Does that happen? Yes, it does. Really? It does. Um, I give you one example that comes to mind. Um, I forget the flight number. This was the first crash of a Lockheed L-1011 back in the early 70s, uh, Eastern uh, Airlines flight. Um, uh, kind of a classic uh, example of no one washing the store. Uh, airplane uh, um, descended uh, slowly um, into the glades uh, west of Miami. Uh, a number of people died in that accident, but also a number of people survived. Oh, I remember that. I remember that accident. I didn't remember that pe anyone had survived. Well, then I stand corrected. But I, that was what. No, no, no. That's that's uh, um, that's a fair it, question. It's, it's rare, but it does happen. Uh, Northwest MD eighty two crash in Detroit back in the late eighties. Uh, there was uh, something of a miracle story there, and a uh, a small child uh, survived amid all the carnage that killed the rest of the occupants of the aircraft. Uh, it basically never got out of ground effect. Clipped a couple of light poles in a parking lot, and uh, came down on the perimeter road outside Detroit Metro Airport, upside down. Uh, crashed, burned. Uh, was really quite a quite a horrific scene. And this uh, very young child survived uh, in the arms of uh, one of its parents. Uh, somehow through it all, and was found alive, and and you know grew up and, and, and has has a life uh, and, and it, it, it's kind of kind of amazing to me because the physics uh, involved in large aircraft uh, operations are so dramatically different than than what we fly than light sport aircraft and the typical GA airplane where you've got oh say like a bonanza maybe 3600 pounds at gross weight uh, with a landing speed below uh, uh, below 70 knots as opposed to 140,000, 180,000 pounds of, uh, of hardware uh, plummeting along and with a landing speed more in the neighborhood of uh, 160 knots. Uh, so the physics involved when one of these things comes down really works against 
the uh, possibilities of survival. But uh, oh, another example, the uh, uh, DC-10 crash uh, up in Sioux City. Uh, uh-huh. The uh, aircraft lost hydraulics. Uh, they had a senior captain on board not far from retirement. Uh, Mr. Haynes, if I remember correctly, uh, he helped drive the airplane and guide the airplane with the uh, original flight crew by using differential thrust on the remaining two engines and they were able to put it down inside the airport fence inside the airport fence not real cleanly uh, the airplane did tip a wing and cartwheel but uh, most of the passengers on that aircraft survived yeah uh, but that was actually, amazing. but but that actually, one did Alpine's, land go ahead uh, Jeb Jack's original question had to do with uh, aircraft coming down uh, during the en route phase. Um, uh, uh, Al Haynes, by the way, is uh, uh, was the, uh, the captain of that flight. There was an off-duty uh, deadheading captain in the cabin and came up to assist, but uh, if anyone's ever had the opportunity to uh, uh, participate in or, or be in a, an audience member for one of Al Haynes's presentations, Oh, he's remarkable. It's, it's, it's a riveting, riveting thing, and uh, uh, just speaks very highly of the professionalism of, of an airline flight crew, and, and I think Al Haynes specifically, uh, highly recommended. Yeah. Our, our hearts go out to the, to the families, 102 souls on, uh, on the Adam uh, airliner, and Absolutely. we hope that they get resolution soon. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and you, with the examples that you guys have just cited, um, I think it's, it's certainly true that we can all hold a good thought that, uh, you know, they're all in a raft someplace, or, 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 or some of them are, you know, and uh, it's not hopeless. What else is going on? By the way, I should say um, it, it's it's just about nine o'clock here in at MacWorld Expo, which means that a lot of people are arriving and starting to log on to the free Wi-Fi, and so we're starting to experience a little bit of connectivity issues here. So uh, we'll just kind of continue along and see how things are going. What else is going on? Uh, there's an update on Embry Riddle. Well, there is Embry Riddle, uh, uh, as our listeners may recall. Uh, on Christmas Day was uh, a target for uh, two tornadoes. Um, nine of the campus's buildings in Daytona Beach were, were damaged. Forty airplanes on their in their training uh, fleet were destroyed. Another ten or, or twelve were, were heavily damaged. Um, this was again on Christmas Day. Comes now news that uh, uh, the Daytona Beach campus will resume flight training on the 16th, and that's uh, that's good news for not only for uh, Embry Riddle and its uh, and its students, but I think for the industry also. There's been a uh, an industry-wide effort to try pitch in and uh, uh, get new airplanes or, or uh, at least uh, new to Embry Riddle airplanes down to Daytona Beach so that their program could uh, continue. And uh, looks like uh, they will make a full recovery. I think that's just great news. That is terrific. Yeah, absolutely. What else is going on? Well, there's one one other sad note here here this morning. Uh-huh. Um, and that's the passing of uh, William Kirshner. Uh, Bill Kirshner, uh, many uh, pilots out there will recall, was the author of a uh, very well-received series of books uh, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, based out of the Ohio area. He uh, was a very prolific writer and uh, instructor, um, very well-known, very well-respected, uh, literally an icon uh, in the uh, general aviation industry. 
uh, passed away on Monday of this week, the 8th, uh, from what I understand to be cancer. Uh, he was in his 70s and uh, uh, had minimal contact with him over the last couple of years, but uh, um, uh, by all accounts, a, a gracious, uh, honorable man, and uh, he, will, he is someone who will definitely be missed in this industry. He definitely oh, he had, had an influence on that the mic training, uh, that's for sure. And he wrote with a sense of humor, which is one thing I didn't find common in aviation books. Exactly right. Yeah, he was one of those rare people who uh, didn't treat uh, learning to fly like a, uh, a life and death challenge. Uh, he, he seemed to take the approach that, you know, if you can't have fun doing this, what's the point? <laughs> exactly right. Yep, yep. He, did, he definitely wrote some great training books, and, uh, and, and I, like others, uh, uh, benefited from them as well. It's, uh, our thoughts go out to his family and, and, and his uh, friends and everybody in his world. And speaking of fun... Uh, it's a little early to be talking about Sun and Fun coming up in April, but uh, they uh, sent a little information out uh, in the last few days about uh, a change in their operation this coming uh, Sun and Fun. Uh, they're going to be opening up the flight line to the, uh, as some people indelicately call them, the great unwashed. That is the, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the non-pilot, non-mechanic people who come to the uh, come to the fly-in, uh, something that uh, Air Venture did quite a number of years ago, not without some controversy and not without some issues, but uh, John Burton, uh, the uh, president and CEO of Sun and Fun Inc., uh, his board and his staff have uh, taken a look at, uh, at, at uh, uh, the ability of the paying public, the non-flying paying public, to move around and, and look at some of the show airplanes that are out beyond the commercial area in what's considered the aircraft operations area, the flight line itself, and looked at how the experiences played out at Oshkosh and decided that, uh, that it's something that they can handle and uh, they can prepare in advance to deal with some of the challenges of it, like getting people to not smoke out there, uh, getting citizens to not say, hey, look, this airplane's covered in cloth, punch. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know. Re re really happened at, at, at Oshkosh, and, uh, and the folks at, at EAA created a, a, a volunteer group called Protect Our Planes uh, at AirVenture, and you'll see them walking around in their blue vests in pairs like cops on a beat, uh, making sure that uh, the, uh, the citizens, the non-flying citizens out there, understand the responsibilities that go with being on the flight line. Sun and Fun's chosen to uh, take their, uh, their, their event in the same direction, and uh, strictly from me, uh, my hat's off to them. I think it's going to improve the experience of the public that comes there, that uh, that comes there to really see airplanes and see the air show up close and personal. So uh, that'll be a big change at uh, at Lakeland this year. Yeah, I was one of the people who was dubious about it when when uh, EAA made the change. But I have to admit that it appears certainly the world hasn't ended. I'm sure there have been some incidents, but for the most part, I think it's probably improved the experience for a lot more people than than have been troubled by it so so good for them yeah, yeah that's off to them <laughs> i'm sorry dan go ahead yeah there i uh, just thought i'd chime in on the subject of sun and fun since they brought it up they are also uh, again taking a lead even before our friends up at oshkosh in establishing what used to be known as the ultralight area or paradise city will now be the light plane area and it will be a central focus for lsa 
Really? Yeah. Ah. My little favorite segment of aviation here is that uh, as it's uh, as it as the vendors started to go to the shows, they were scattered all over the grounds, and people coming not to events like the one I'm at today, but those big events. I would have to go all over the grounds to figure out where the airplanes were, and they did things like their MSA Mall, and that worked. But Sunday uh, Fun is going to be one of the first, and we'll see how it all plays out for them. But we're going up to visit with John Burton later this uh, next week and have talked to him several times on the phone and they're going full speed ahead with the idea of making that an LSA focused area so you can see them all in one spot which is a great idea for those people attending the show. As long as the muzzle loader no, I was going to say as long as the muzzle loader booth is still open I think that's probably going to be okay. <laughs> see Dave comment on that one. Well Dan see Dan that's my question how, what, how are the relations between the, the LSA world and the folks who are choosing to remain in the ultralight world. Um, is there a conflict there? Are you working together? What's it like? Uh, I would say there's a, not conflict, but there's a certain amount of tension because what had been sort of this uh, free and open, maybe almost cowboy-like atmosphere with ultralights where there just wasn't a lot of regulation, there just wasn't a lot of uh, government interference in your enjoyment of flying those particular kinds of aircraft. Well, now, you know, coming up here, the end of January, this is timely to mention, I'm glad you brought it up, uh, those ultralight pilots, who many of them have logged hundreds or in some cases thousands of hours of time, need to get with a designated pilot examiner before the end of this month. You only got like three weeks left, barely that, um, to uh, go take your test and get your sport pilot certificate. This is true even if you have 2,000 hours. you got to go get a sport pilot certificate now if you don't have a private or better. Many of us do. But if you don't, your chances of uh, your opportunity if you do this before January 31st is that all of your existing uh, ultralight aeronautical experience counts so you don't have to go a of time. You just have to go take the test. And you get with whatever organization you were registered with, that's the U.S. Ultralight Association, the Aero Sports Connection, or EAA, all three did this. And uh, they can give you a log of your experience and so forth. You take it to your pilot examiner, and he says, okay, I see you've got all the aeronautical experience you need to meet the rule. Let's just go take the test now. After January 31st, even if you've got 2,000 hours of flying ultralights, you're going to have to go accumulate time with an instructor in an airplane, and that's going to be an area where some are really going to grouse about that. But you've got three weeks left to do that. So other than that, though, I think that the integration of the two communities, they really, the light sport aircraft grew out of ultralight, is the truth of it. They're not the same vehicles. They don't look the same. They have different capabilities. But the experience to know how to build those airplanes largely came from uh, more than two decades of work with ultralight aircraft. And so they are one and the same, and eventually they'll be indistinguishable, with one exception. We still have the Part 103 ultralight, the 254-pound uh, single-seat, 60-mile-an-hour uh, airplane that uh, people, myself included, had a lot of fun flying. No changes whatsoever to that. Still no license, still no medical. Uh, you can buy a ready-to-fly airplane. Um, and go have a lot of fun. If that kind of flying is good for you, and there's some nice, nice choices, then you can still do that, no changes at all. The two-seater guys, they have to go get their sport pilot certificate. Yeah. 
Well, we've just about run out of our allotted time here, and I'm, I'm getting the feeling that we've tempted the gods of technology sufficiently this morning. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, we, we, I, we didn't burn enough incense or something. I don't know. What I don't know. Do. Well, I think it's been that's okay. What happen- and, that's what happens when you take it to Macworld. <laughs> that's, hey, 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 hey. And I didn't even know they had screensavers. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> We want to, Dan. Thank you very much. Thanks to look at. Uh, let me do a little gratuitous pitch here. Go ahead. Real website. It was fun to go to. I encourage your listeners to go to uncontrolledairspace.com. Uh, but I also like to say that if you want more information about the Seabring Show, their address is a little bulkier, but it's sport aviation expo expo dot com. And then a little gratuitous plug for my own website, which has a lot of. Uh, light sports stuff on it and tons and tons of pilot reports that's just like a byline to my article it's by danjohnson.com or by danjohnson.com absolutely I, I i hadn't forgotten dan i was actually just about to to give a plug to your website but i'm glad you did and uh i will put both of those uh, uh website uh, links in the show notes if anyone uh, uh, needs to remember them so you can go to uncontrolled airspace thank you dan for being with us hopefully you'll join us again uh sometimes in the future too we've really enjoyed uh, having you with us and uh, and hearing your perspective it's it's great stuff Thanks yeah, thanks, much. Dan. Very much appreciate it. And thanks again, as usual, Dave. Uh, Dave Higdon. You can learn more about Dave and his work at DaveHigdon.com and also Jeb Burnside uh, at AviationSafetyMagazine.com or AvWeb.com. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you all next time. Wheels right on the ground. Car number six is right on the tail. Come on, engine, don't you fail. Got the pedal to the metal, heading into the turn. Cramp in that wheel, see the rubber burn. You can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Keep right on a wheel and don't skid in the turn. The Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast is a production of uncontrolledairspace.com and Jack Hodgson of Three River Productions. Your business or organization could easily be taking advantage of the power and prestige of podcasting. For help with any and all aspects of using this new medium to present your products and messages, please visit our website at threeriverproductions.com.